everybody. Welcome back to Unstructured. This week, I'm super excited. We have Drew Sample of the Sample Hour. Now, Drew, he labels himself the contrary farmer. And he is a bit of contrarian. He'll occasionally be a flamethrower on different threads, things like that. But I think he does in good spirit and with a lot of fun. And being an urban farmer, Drew, what the hell is that? Well, I, that's a great intro. I'll, I'll, I'll answer that question. I've, I want to pay homage to the great Gene Logsdon first. He wrote the book Contrary Farmer, and I thought it, it was very contrary for me as an urban farmer um, to be an urban farmer because it's very contrary. Uh, so an urban farmer does not mean that I grow marijuana, much to the surprise of a lot of people that I tell them uh I'm an urban farmer, so I'm a small-scale urban farmer. So I have a 15th of an acre. Um, a lot of my business model and what I do to make money was based on a farmer out of Kelowna, British Columbia, named Curtis Stone. And it's all about quick-growing crops, anything that you can turn over quickly um, and make money. So my number, my cash crop right now is microgreens. So my microgreens, it's anywhere from six days to 14 days when I harvest. Actually, once we get done, um, I'm going to go harvest some micro cilantro, and I have it already sold for tomorrow to a restaurant downtown. Um, so the, the, the nice thing for me is I, I don't, I'm not certified organic, um, but, I mean, I'm chemical-free, soil-grown. I don't use hydroponics. I'm not really interested in aeroponics or hydroponics. Um, I think it's great that you can grow so much food, but I, th I think, uh, you know, plants are meant to be in soil. So that's the way I grow my, my vegetables. Um, so I, I mainly sell to restaurants at this point. Um, farmers markets are about to start, but I sold about seven restaurants. I do have the benefit of being in a low cost living situation so I can make a lot of things work. Um, so, uh, you know, I, 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 I enjoy it. I mean, I enjoy the sales aspect. I enjoy the, the freedom it gives me. Um, I would say I'm more of an entrepreneur than a, than a farmer, but farming was just my first business that actually really worked. <laughs> not, not the other failed businesses I had before. Yeah, you've called yourself a micro-entrepreneur. Um, what would you describe that as being exactly? Um... A micro entrepreneur is something that you you just start small. I mean, I, I for me, it's something that you can do from out of your house. I mean, that was something Charles Hugh Smith and I talked a lot about. I think there's a couple different ways that you can you can be an entrepreneur, be a business owner. One way is you do a lot of the labor, and then somebody else. You have investors. You go around, you find investors, and you get all this infrastructure, and you hire all these employees and everything like that, and to me, that that wasn't something I was necessarily interested in because I, you know, I I wanted to make sure I knew how to run a business and I, I wanted something to be grown um, organically. I didn't want to own owe somebody else money. I didn't want somebody else to be able to tell me what I could and couldn't do with my own business based on the fact that they gave me so much money. Um, I think uh, you know I, I I am getting into real estate right now, um, into note buying. Um, and again, that's something that, uh, what I like about note buying, um, or real estate in general, just kind of the economic model from what I'm learning 
is there's and I think a lot of times in business that's the case and and I and I wouldn't mind being this person is there's an economic ladder in every it seems like in every form whether it's a job or entrepreneurship and and a lot of times what I've noticed in real estate is um, when you're doing deals with notes um, or uh, similar things uh, multi multifamily units. Um, a lot of times there's, there's different phases. There's a middle guy that has a person that he works with that he's trying to train to find good deals. Mm-hmm. And then, so you start out. So right now I'm in a stage to where I'm, I'm trying to find leads for good deals. And then I get that to a guy who basically handles the paying the bills on the business and everything else like that. So I contract. And then once we have that, then we would go to a money person. And then the money person's done both the jobs so they can know if it's a good deal or not or something they want to do. So I think eventually I would like to be just that money person that sits back and has somebody present them with deals or business opportunities and have the the skill set to be able to look at something and really say, okay, is this is this something that I could get a good return on my investment with? Um, so that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at now. So what I liked about farming was, you know, I I was in telecommunications for 10 years um, doing a lot of shitty sales jobs that that were grimy and call centers. Yeah. Well, the call center was the last one that would probably paid me the best. But my first real uh, sales entrepreneurial gig was Tahitianoni International. I was a network marketing guy and I called all my friends and family and was uninvited from weddings and purposely not invited to parties so i wouldn't talk to people about the great business opportunity i'd come across um but the nice thing about doing that business was it it got me to start reading books um before that i i think i'd read one book ever because i network network marketing is that like amway yes yeah so multi-level marketing network marketing there's probably a new name for it coming out soon too so people will get tricked into doing it again um, I don't want to say that there's people that I know that make good money doing it and they, it, it's worked out well for them. Um, I've, I have listeners of my show that do. And, and I think, you know, I, the thing for me though, is it was nothing that I could ever make be a part of my identity. And I think if that, if you really want to be successful, you have to eat, sleep and drink that business. And I just never could. Um, so I called all my friends and family and Never did it. I did a few different companies, and I, I think I did that for about three or four years. And in the meantime, I'd just become a pretty good salesperson in the wireless industry with cell phones, working my way up the corporate ladder. And um, I don't want to say the corporate ladder, but kind of the economic ladder. Like I was, I started selling phones at a, a Radio Shack's uh, Sprint uh, to, kiosk. Yeah, it was a kiosk. They worked together, and then. Um, I got recruited by Verizon because I was stealing sales from them. And then Verizon, like I actually dropped out of college because it was my um, it's like my fifth year. And I, I had a plenty of credits to have probably two degrees, but I just didn't have enough in one thing. So and you're uh, the opposite of the uh, can you hear me now guy. Yeah, I guess. The Sprint stole him. Yeah, yeah. So Verizon stole me. And then uh, I worked there. And was brainwashed there. I was there for five years. And then it's kind of weird. Like network, I, I got that job so I could have a good money to really be like a good businessman and network marketing and be able to go to these conferences and 
because I wasn't making money with the business. But I wanted, I liked the education. Like I liked what I was learning. Like I was reading a bunch of books. We always had the book of the month. And so I've, I've read a ton of classics on sales and marketing and, and economics uh, from that perspective. So it was like Jim, everyone talks about Adam Smith. And like, I know I never read Adam Smith. I have no desire to, to be honest. Still haven't. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have no desire to. I, I, I think it's great that, you know, the Scottish people, they learned English and then the, the great intellectuals came out like Adam Smith and the other ones. But I don't, it, you know, Jim Rohn has this like 10, 10 minute video on economics and he goes through the ladder and he's like, McDonald's will pay you $6 an hour to take out the trash. If you whistle to take out the trash, they'll pay you seven. And it's just kind of like, you know, the attitude. And it was like, oh, so you just have to have a good attitude. Um, and so I was, I was good at sales. So I was doing well and um, went to the kiosk. was making pretty good money for a 23-year-old kid. Like I was making like 60 grand a year in Toledo, Ohio, where the cost of living is really low. And then, um, yeah, and then I, I got out of network marketing, man, and um, something happened. And I just didn't have any light at the end of the tunnel. Well, and. Uh, what's, when was this? This was in like 2008. I got what out. Happened? What's that? What happened? We went from Tishinoni where we kind of had this family. Like we, we had this really cool group. Like I was, uh, so we were in this team and it was like an all black team. And I was like the one white dude, um, when we'd go to these events and it was cool. It was Top Gun. It was this guy, Robert Lewis Dean. He was from Georgia. He was making stupid money and he would, he would put like he would say things wrong on purpose. Like he's a brilliant guy, but he would say English wrong purposely. It's like this guy's educated. He's he's just putting on a show. And there was other people in there that taught me a lot, like Tony Fleming. Um, he's still my Facebook friend, and I think I think they're all still in network marketing, and they they make money. But it was just we went from Tishinoni, and there was kind of like this good family. And like what what had happened was is I had a a buddy of mine from college, how I'd gotten into it, he he lived on the same street as this NFL player, Darnell Sanders. And Darnell got in, and as a young, impressionable 22-year-old, I was like, well, if this NFL player has money and he sees an opportunity with this, there must be an opportunity with it. Yeah. So uh, Darnell was recruited by this dude, Rockmon. And then, like, so I got in, and I was, like, I was way down this down line. It was, like, uh, mm-hmm. it was... Darnell, then it was this guy TR, and then it was my buddy Dave, and then it was me, and then like everybody got out of the business, and it was just me and and Rockmon, and then so like it went up like four, and I just kept rolling up, and then um they were in Cleveland, and I was living in Toledo, but it was like a good network, so Rockmon plugged me into this dude uh, Kari and this other guy Greg Baldwin. And Greg was like this great speaker. Like Greg was just like, uh, he was such an eloquent speaker. And I'd kind of, I'd, I'd been going down this path in college and I just realized I like, man, something's fucking wrong. Like I'm working my ass off the, the, the notebook, uh, the, the manual on how to become an adult just hasn't showed up, man. <laughs> Where's this manual? And I was, I was doing corporate fitness. I was, uh, pre-med exercise physiology major then i thought i wanted to be like an echo sonographer um and thought i was going to be a doctor spent some time in a hospital and was like man their lifestyle sucks i don't want to do that um so you were really exploring all over the place 
Yeah, business business and sales and entrepreneurship came after college. I that was the last thing I wanted to do. I was raised by a great liberal progressive family. My mom's a social worker and wears her heart on her sleeve, man. I mean, lives those values, like puts others before her, much to her detriment. Um, wonderful human. Um, I just don't see eye to eye with her in a lot of political stuff, which is kind of weird. But um, she's got like hillbilly values, but then um, votes like straight liberal mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, like she was trying to say how she was for Black Lives Matter. And I was like, Mom, it's kind of a co-opted movement. I mean, I used to be for the Tea Party. Then I was for Occupy. And then I was like, oh, this is quickly. Well, range. well yeah, well, it was quickly because it was like anti-establishment. And I was like, well, look, we're all we're all against the same thing guys. And they just didn't see it. Like it, it there was this good, um, Venn diagram on zero hedge. And I, I remember posting it and it ruffled some feathers. Um, but so like, uh, it was just saying how like the, the tea party thinks it's the government, mm-hmm. the, uh, occupy thinks it's the corporations. And it was like in the middle in reality, it's the government co-opting with the, the corporations. And sure. that's the problem. And, uh, and also, I was I was in with the uh, punkers a little bit into the eighties. Yeah, like, and you start to realize, wait a minute, this is a uniform. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's weird when you realize that you trying to be different, you just joined some other faction of people that want to that that don't want to go to the two to their own horn. And I and I've been there. Like I was like I I would. It took me a while to learn how to form my own opinions. It took me a while to figure out what I actually want. I still don't know, man. I mean, I, I flip-flop. I mean, like, you know, I thought I was a libertarian for a while. Then I met a bunch of libertarians. I'm like, man, those guys are fucking annoying. <laughs> and then I thought I was an anarchist for a while. Then I met a bunch of other anarchists. And I was like, uh, I just don't. I'm not that hard-lined. And then purity. There's a lot of purity tests with every group you're yeah, there's a, discussing. There's a, there's a dogma. And it's like, you know, there's there's this dogma that people try to replace of uh of there's a dogma of uh collectivism, I think. Like there's it's just different forms sure. of collectivism. Tribal. Yeah, and I think it's something that we want. I think it has a lot to do with our lack of community. Um and you know, and, and so uh just going down different paths. I mean, I, I think, you know, finally I moved to, I ended up moving to Columbus, um, got out of network marketing, moved to Columbus uh, because I was really depressed in Toledo and I was, I'd put on a bunch of weight. I think my corporate America weight was, pre-corporate America was like 220. I got up to like 265, moved to 270, moved to Columbus, ended up getting up to about 297 and now I've just come oh, wow. back down to 255. So I'm still trying to like get out What's of your that. Height? I'm 6'3". Okay. So I'm a, I'm a large man. I'm six two and uh, two forty right now. I'm not happy. Yeah, well, I'm you run too, man. I can't believe you run as much as you do. That's hard on your body. Well, I I got my weight down a a good bit, but right now I do feel it. Yeah, when I'm running, I have this little problem. You observe, right? Now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the 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 beer I've recently had to cut out, man. I um I don't like the way it makes me feel, and sometimes I can still handle liquor. But even then, like, I don't like the way that makes me feel either. Um, so it's I'm trying to stick to uh, non-chemically 
um, processed human process forms of okay. uh, escapism. Uh huh. Okay. So admit it, you're a hippie. You know, <laughs> no, I'm not a hippie. Like a part of me is a hippie. Like I'm not gonna lie. Like I have similar values. Like I'm very much for um, the planet. I'm very much for appreciating the wilderness and appreciating nature. But like I'm not. Like there's there's certain things that hippies just don't get and it's like why what is wrong with you guys why aren't you paying attention and it's and i think that's kind of where the 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 me becoming cynical came into into play because it was i went from one thing to another thing to another thing then we started you know when i when ended up so what ended up happening was is i was on this really reckless path uh and then it then it got like times five because i bear my best friend died and a guy I used to work with died the month before, and then another friend died the next month, and then uh, a couple of months later, this this kid who I watched grow up with my cousins, he was their best friend, he died too, and it was just this like kind of like messed up chain of events. Uh, close family relatives had died. Um, what happened during all this? I mean, you're really uh, buzzing by. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, first, my uncle Ray, he was. Um, this is before I started Verizon. He was like the first big loss I had. He was, um, man, he was really close with me. Him and I, we would watch UFCs together and we would watch, and this is back in like 2005, 2006. I mean, we were watching UFC way before it was cool because the Ultimate Fighter was on. So I'd come over, we watched the Ultimate Fighter every week. We'd watch football together if it was like the Colts versus the Patriots because I used to be a Colts fan. And he had uh, this weird form of cancer from Agent Orange. He served in Vietnam. And I think that I, I was already kind of questioning our involvement in Iraq and the military. And I'd originally wanted to do the Marine Reserves. And then watching my Uncle Ray just be sick all the time because of something the government had done to him. It really, um, really, really made me not like the like our military involvement or or the government in general um so he had the, like 18 liquid tumors in his liver it was something really oh. weird um and then uh he was just this tough son of a bitch man and he was he was given 6 months he ended up living for 16 years and then my aunt judy finally said to him like you don't you don't have to fight anymore and then um yeah man he just he just went and then uh about a year later um, my aunt Kathy, I was super close with her and, uh, I was, I called her to get my grandfather's number because something was going on with my car and he always would teach me like, he taught me like how to get cheap cars and where to get them fixed for cheap. And he like showed me this, like what you could do to be frugal. Cause I, I, he, you know, it, so I, I, I'd spent a lot of time with him, um, in Toledo. Um, and so then, um, so I called him in his, at his house in Kentucky. I got, oh, I called my aunt Kathy to get his number she gave it to me and then uh she was telling me how she was going to start working out that day and i said oh that's good well i love you can't wait to see you and then uh yeah i just went about my day running my errands and then i was at my dad's and we were having like a fire in the back and we we're gonna have like this camping thing and then uh this call came through and um it like i, I well I, I went to my phone and i saw i missed like 10 missed calls from my mom and I had a text message uh, said, from my brother that said, hey, call mom. And then my mom said, hey, your Aunt Kathy passed today. She was found by the mailman. 
And I was like, I just talked to her. And then she's like, I think, I think you were the last person that talked to her. And so like, I was kind of messed up and I wasn't, I hadn't really dealt with uncle Ray. Cause that was like the first big death and loss I had in my life. And then Aunt Kathy happened. I hadn't really dealt with that. So I think I, I really just was started. Was she Ray's wife? What's that? Was she Ray's wife or is she another aunt? No, she was my mom's sister. No, my Aunt Judy oh, okay. is Ray's wife. No. Um, okay. Yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so Uncle Ray was like my adopted uncle. He, uh, he was my grandfather's best friend, but he always said he was my grandfather's number one son, and he like worked for my grandfather. And my He was this wild man when he got out of the military, and he... He get in all these fights and uh, he would get the he'd fight cops regularly. Like he'd get arrested, he beat the shit out of cops, and they beat the shit out of him so bad that yeah, they would never press charges because the judge would look at him and be in some small town. They just let him go, and he oh, would just God. take his ass beatings and keep going. And then he went to Toledo, Ohio, because back in the um, you know the seventies there was work there, so he goes there and. Uh, doing different jobs meets my grandfather in a bar my grandfather was going to start this dump truck business on the side and said he was looking Hmm. for drivers and then him uncle ray became friends and he was paying uncle ray he's like what are you doing with this money he goes well yeah i just kind of spent he's like we should really get yourself a savings account and like my my grandfather just kind of took him under his wing and taught him just a lot of just like simple life skills because he didn't he didn't have that like growing up in maine and then Hmm. um so yeah cool yeah, so he, he was like, I mean, him and my pa were like, and my and my dad are like the three biggest male figures in my life. And um, so, uh, yeah, so then uh, when Aunt Kathy had passed, I go to, um, it's like a couple years later, uh, and I'm in Columbus. It was like 2011. I'm in Columbus, and uh, my buddy Eric, who I used to work with in Toledo, he he had melanoma when he was young and uh went into remission and then he just got married and had a kid and he was younger than me and at the time i was only i think he was only like 25 um Mm. and it came back and man he went he went pretty quick and then uh so that was that was pretty tough to deal with like i wasn't it's kind of weird like i knew a different eric from work like him and i would have conversations that i don't think either of us had with anybody else and so we wow. weren't super close we never hung out outside of work but we had like this mutual respect and um because i think we we pushed each other to be better salespeople. so it was mm-hmm. like this friendly competition thing and so eric eric ended up passing away yes so then uh my buddy dave who was like my best friend from college we had like labs together and david moved to texas and uh, dave and i started talking quite a bit on the phone because i moved to columbus and um, I would just talk to him when I'd be driving back and forth from Toledo because I was just trying to find my 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 path. Like I missed my family in Toledo, but I knew I had to leave Toledo. Um, and my I'd moved to Columbus when I was like nine. Um, from Toledo, and so I still had ties to both cities because my mom and stepdad lived down here. And Columbus was just a a better city. Like Columbus was like there was a lot more opportunity. Like I I felt like I'd kind of hit the the lid in Toledo for jobs that I would like to do and. Uh, like, where do you live now i live in columbus now so i live okay, okay. In, i live in the middle of the city how far apart are the two cities it's about two hours two and a half hours depending on the okay. traffic um so one's right on the border of michigan which is toledo uh and so it's a different it's a different culture um mm-hmm. it's a different kind of city it's, it's columbus is a 
it's a university city. There's a lot of business opportunity. There's, there's, it's growing. It's been one of the fastest growing cities for years. Um, but then all the baby boomers retired and moved to Florida. So Florida has been exploding. Um, <laughs> so people don't know that Columbus didn't stop growing. It's just the rate didn't change, but the rates for Florida went bigger. But at Columbus, That's remarkable for the Midwest, though, because most of the, uh, especially northern Midwest, is in fact shrinking. So the fact you're growing is almost counter to the area around, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. No, it definitely is. But most most of the real estate in Ohio is actually pretty good. Um, like Dayton's kind of on the rise. Toledo's not. Toledo. Toledo needs to let go of industry, like Jeep and stuff like that there's a lot of different economic factors like jeep doesn't pay any taxes really to the city and the most money you can make there is 15 dollars an hour ever now so like if you're a new person like my dad retired from jeep and uh he was he he tells me about it all the time and he's he's like one of the last generations to get a pension and um so yeah so i was i was spending a lot of time talking to dave and david helped me get through um kind of get through that and then he came to visit me um when he came to ohio and stayed with me for a few days and i mean i had a good time and then we were just kind of sitting there talking and saying how much fun we were having together again and then uh he was he lived right outside austin texas and he him and i were talking about how um you know he's like you know they got verizons down here because i i didn't plan on permanently staying in columbus I was uh, renting from my buddy who owned this condo, and I didn't plan on. I didn't know how long I was going to be there. I just knew I needed to change something in my life because um, I wasn't happy. And then, uh, yeah. So, so Dave goes, you know. So I, I was planning to go down and visit Dave, and we we're going to take a look and see. I was really considering moving to Texas, and then uh, so I had family in Texas too, which isn't too far in Houston. And then uh, I get this text message. I went to a bar with a buddy I was working with because my drinking had not decreased. And <laughs> uh, we were sitting at this bar, and I get this message on my work phone. And it was, uh, is this Drew? And I go, yeah. And she goes, hey, uh, this, hey, it's Dave's friend, Lee. Is this Drew? I said, yeah. And then she called me and then uh, told me that Dave had fallen asleep behind the wheel and... Oh, got hit by a semi head on and and died, and so it was, was like, that on his way driving back from where? Ohio? No, no, no. He was somewhere in Texas. I think he was just at a friend's house, and oh. it's kind of weird. Like Dave would go to bed early. I mean, you know, if if Dave was drunk, he could have been. But Dave, whatever Dave was doing, it was something he'd done plenty of times before, and it maybe just finally caught up with him. It was something his dad wrote to at the funeral. It was actually pretty nice. Like it. Uh, so we we were, it was weird. Like uh, Dave's buddy Jerry was like me and me and Dave were me and this guy Jerry were two of Dave's best friends, and like I was Dave's only friend from outside his group of friends because like I'm kind of a a friend nomad. Like I don't I have a <laughs> lot of different groups of friends, and I don't have like one group of friends. And so Dave was like, I'd always invite Dave out, and then him and I would. We were living in Toledo together for a little bit. And him and I would just go out and get drunk, and there wasn't much else to do in Toledo. And we'd crash at each other's places, and we would talk shit. We had so much fun. And then uh, Jerry and I—I I knew Jerry longer than I'd known Dave, and Jerry had known me. And him and I just didn't get along. For it was like we didn't—we got along. We didn't really didn't really feel like being friends. And then uh, Jerry and sure. I became really good friends. Like him and I would talk once a week. Like we would talk to. Dave 
And then, hmm. um, so they, Jerry and I started talking. I started losing more friends. And then um, it was the day. Let's see what happened. Um, yeah, so so John Hughes, this kid John Hughes had passed away. He, he had gotten drunk with his buddies in Atlanta. And uh, the truck rolled over and they all died. And it was like he was in the back of the cab. And it Jesus. was it was pretty bad. And then it, it was like, so, but it, it felt good. Cause I could, I could be there for my cousins and stuff because they were, they were like five years younger and it was like just dealing with death. And I, and I, and I was kind of starting to deal with it, but not really, but it was just, I could be there to listen to them and they knew that I knew what they were feeling. And, right. um, cause they're like, they're like my little siblings. And then, um, man, I didn't think I was going to go this dark on the show, Eric. Jeez. And That's then, uh, <laughs> and there's the, light. Yeah. We'll pull it out. Yeah. We'll pull the light out. And then, um, it was weird because I kept calling work and saying how oh, my friends died and I had to go to these funerals. I didn't go to John's funeral because I was like, man, I, I've been to enough funerals this year. I, I can't do it. And I got uh, one of my uncles called me and said, aren't you going to go to the funerals for your cousins? I'm like, hey, man, like, look, I just buried two really good friends and I'm not trying to sound like an asshole, but nobody went to that funeral, those funerals. And I don't expect them to, but I, I can't go to another funeral right now. And then uh, so I was talking to Jerry about it. And I went and talked a little bit, and then uh, I'd just gotten wedding. He, he was going to get married to his fiance Lindsay, and I was becoming friends with him and Lindsay. And then uh, the day, it was like Black Friday. I was pumping gas, and I just got off. It was the day after Black Friday, so I was exhausted because um, I was working retail. And I'm pumping my gas, and I get this weird call from a Toledo number. And I'm like, well, nobody from Toledo really calls me on this number anymore. So I answer it, and... It was Lindsay bawling her eyes out saying that uh, Jerry had been killed. He'd been, um, it was a hit and run. And apparently he was out walking at night when he had a few drinks. And uh, it was actually in Columbus and the person hit him and kept going. And everybody you know is dying from a vehicular it, incident. It was, that was in 2011. Yeah, it was a weird year. Uh, one guy died of a cancer, another guy died in his sleep. Um, this guy, Nick Tice that I used to know, we were acquaintances, but it was still weird. And then some guy also died. His sister tracked me down. I, I talked to him on a Amtrak ride. It was just like a weird year with death. And then so uh, everybody uh, kept their distance from you. <laughs> well, the, the weird thing was, is when we went to Jerry's funeral, man, it was so hard. Cause it was the same group of friends that was at Dave's funeral. And yeah. it was like, uh, it was this weird thing. And we all kind of went through some stuff and then. My way of dealing with all this was just, a, man, let's hit those let's hit those drinks really hard. So I'm still pretty functional at work. I'm still putting up numbers and um, trying to get promoted and not. Just, now, where's this? You said you're working at Verizon. Yeah, I was still working at Verizon Wireless and still in a kiosk. I couldn't get out. They were closing down kiosks. They cut our pay. And I just okay. kept hitting this ceiling because I wanted to get promoted. I was tired of grinding out sales and I just. It's, like cause Verizon's just a grind and they, and they, they brainwash you. They tell you like, Oh, you know, more people apply to Verizon than Harvard and all this other stupid bullshit. And well, I'm sure that's true. Well, it is, but it, it's like, you, they, but it's like, who cares? More people apply at McDonald's than Verizon. Yeah. But they make you, they, they make <laughs> you feel like you can't go anywhere else. And it like, and I've, oh, yeah. I felt like that. Like I didn't feel like I had any real value. I didn't have enough energy to, to work on my resume or anything. And Don't I, feel bad. The uh, military does the same thing. When yeah. you're in the military, 
Yeah, you know we take care of you. We give you food. You just, you know, we'll we'll take care of you. You're good. You're a good soldier, but you're not that bright. You're not going to make it on the outside. Trust me, it's done all over. So, that I'm I'm sure it is. And so, like, I I just felt really beat down, and then um, I just kind of stopped really giving a shit about my life. And it was like I I didn't. I was just drinking a lot. I was drinking and driving a lot. And then mm, um, I went. Good. I went out. I uh, went out with my buddy Ted, and uh, drove home. I got some food. I was gonna go crash at my mom's house because it was closer than my house. And then I went a road down a road that I never usually go down. And some cop pulled me over, and I just cried like a little bitch. It was like, oh, you, you know, my mom's just around the corner. I probably shouldn't have been driving. Can I just call her and have her pick me up? And they're like, nope, you're getting arrested. And that moment changed my life because it was like I had been become such a pushover. Like I had allowed all these people to dictate their terms to my life. I'd allowed all these people to tell me when I was allowed to take vacation. Uh, they, I'd let them lead me on to get promoted. I couldn't have a functional relationship with a woman. I hadn't in years. I hadn't like, and I wanted like, and so, um, and I and I it developed this theories because like you know I had such a bad relationship with work I didn't know it, it consumed my life so I didn't have know how to have a a good relationship with a significant other and then sure. and I would see it a lot at work like people would work together and they cheat on their spouses all the time and it mm. just was like this kind of depressing thing and then um so I I'd, I'd gotten this DUI and this was in July and then later on that month uh, this guy came over. Um, 2011 yeah 2011 and he was at time warner and my one buddy who i was drinking with and went to time warner and said how great it was the money was so much better and i'm like i gotta get there you gotta get me in there and so then like, cable company yeah yeah okay. so um and it was stupid money you just answered the phone and you'd get sales and so uh so then what happened was is uh this guy comes he says hey we're opening up new positions and my other buddy raf's there and i'm go figure i'm drunk and we're about to go see the dark night rises. And, uh, so then we're all, I'm all kind of feeling good. And then, so then, um, we, we get signed up to get these jobs and then I interview and I interview. Well, I'm all nervous cause my DUI and I don't have a license, but then I find my passport and I couldn't find my passport before I was all worried about it. I get an hmm. offer. I get, uh, I get all this stuff. The guy coaches me to get the job. Raph and I are going to go, so we're leaving to go to Time Warner. Um, this I had these bosses that were just cokeheads. Like my old boss had already left. Um, I had cokehead bosses, and one of them at Verizon. Yeah, like one of them I threatened. Like the one of them you can actually look up his mugshot because uh, he ended up getting arrested in in Atlanta and some shit. It was pretty funny, but uh, I started standing up for myself, and it felt good. I said, "Look, man, you got you got to get your boy on a leash." I got a nasty ass voicemail from him. And if you don't if you don't put your boy in line, I was saying that to the main manager, I'm gonna go to HR. And I'm just it's either that or I'm gonna pull him outside and beat the shit out of him. And I don't want that. And he doesn't want that. And I man, I'd been in a fight. Well, no, that's not true. I'd get in some bar fights recently that that time too. So that that's <laughs> not true. So I was feeling a little too confident in my fighting skills at the time. And <laughs> uh and so I Went to this thing, and the guy was trying to make me work through my full two weeks, which is not heard of in sales. Usually, if you're in sales, they just let you go. 
because you're not going to get commission and people stop working hard. So I basically was like, dude, I need this time off. And he didn't schedule me off. So I just called off. And then he said, you know what? Just don't even bother showing up. I said, well, hey, dude, you know, my work phone, I left in this safe. Um, and you can go fuck yourself, man. Like, I don't need this. I'm starting at Time Warner. So right after I said, go fuck yourself, I get a call from um, Time Warner and tell me that they rescinded my offer. Because, because somebody I've, narked you out. No, I failed my background check. So I thought for oh. sure it was because I failed a drug test because I was smoking a bunch of weed. Uh, can I say <laughs> that on your show? I don't care. Okay, cool. Because I'm going to talk about <laughs> more drugs that I did too. And then uh, like ayahuasca, we'll get to that. Yeah, uh, not ayahuasca. I haven't done that. So, uh, so then oh, um, mushrooms. Then. Yeah, no, it was it was just mushrooms. And so then, uh, yeah, so I didn't know what I was going to do, man. I uh, I felt so scared. I was at my buddy's house. I started crying and I was freaking out. And it wasn't because I didn't have Time Warner. It's because I didn't want to go back and work at Verizon because I knew if I kept working there, I was going to kill myself. Mm-hmm. And then um, I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, all my friends were kind of like, Drew, like, fuck, man, how did you do that? And I was like, I don't know. I was just, I was sabotaging myself regularly. And then, um, so. Now, is this when you started? I mean, I had to kind of, I'm going to sidetrack for a minute. Yeah. But um, I had to dig into you a little bit because I actually do try to find out about who I'm going to interview. Um, really do some research so I can ask semi-intelligent questions. I need all the help I can get. That's cool, man. And like, I listened to you because you're tied in with the mixed middle arts crowd. And ironically, you were in the Columbus gatherups or meetups as they call them. Yeah. And I noticed something. The second one, especially it was a round Robin of cultural confessions. Yeah. A dynamic drew grabbed the microphone and wound up emceeing the event. And Did not give a confession. Yeah, how'd that work out? So you're kind of a wily dude. I'm sitting there <laughs> looking around, trying to find information about you. So I can, one, it's boring if you cover the same stuff that's been covered in 10 other podcasts. Yeah. I try to listen to him and say, okay, hey, here's something about this guy. That's interesting, but I wonder if anybody asked him this or anybody asked him that. But I couldn't find anything on you. So I've really been digging. So you went to, to the things. old ass episodes that I still have on the feed? Um, I didn't get through that, but I got a lot from the Guru cast. You happened to make an aside about an appearance there, and there you were actually talking about some things in the history that were very interesting I seized upon. But yeah. I, I just wanted to point that out, that you play that you're an open book, but it depends on the crowd. Well, I'm an open book, but you just got to ask the right questions. Okay. Well, I call you almost <laughs> a walking Venn diagram. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, it's something Nathan Malloy said. He's like, it's like you're a weird, but you're also a hillbilly culture-wise. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Like, I, uh, I, it was my mom. I mean, I was co- I'm I'm college educated for sure. I mean, I went I went I did a lot of college. I did a lot of I I'm very educated, but I and your mom was graduated. Too. Yeah, my mom was too. My mom is an associate. She's got an honors diploma. Um, my stepdad is. He's got a master's degree. He almost got his PhD. My stepdad's one of the founders of the Centrist Coalition, which I think it's still around, but it's he's not a part of it anymore. He's written. He's published some books. 
Um, I, I made sure he got in mixed mental arts, uh, but he doesn't, he, he's not the best at social media. He works, uh, he works at Youngstown state. He's, uh, converting all the degrees over to digital. Um, cool. so you're, you're also locked in with, um, school sucks. You've also I interviewed am. Thaddeus Russell and Danielle Bialetti. Yeah. Said that right. Yeah. Um, so you're all over the place. Yeah. So we and I'm trying to loop this back in. Oh, I, 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 I'm also getting there. Death Squad. Yeah, yeah. So Death Squad. I'm tied into Death Squad too. Brian Redband and um, one of my now is that Ohio thing? No. Well, originally no. So originally it was a Opie Anthony thing. So uh, Joe Rogan came in with Tate Fletcher and Chuck Liddell and Redband, and they go, oh, it's the Death Squad. And then Red Band ran with that, and he was Rogan's original producer, and Red Band's from Columbus. That's what I meant. The Ohio connection, you, Red Band, Tony Hinchcliffe. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we, um, I'll, and I, I'm going to, I'll get to that in the story, I promise. So. Okay, well, we'll loop back around. We'll Let's go back there, to your yeah. world. You did world travels, well, I think, yeah. after your Verizon flameout. I did that. I did it. I've done a few. So I ran with the Bulls with Hunter Mark when I was still at Verizon, and then, um, I left shortly after I left Toledo and, uh, but Hunter Mark and I are still close. Hunter Mark's about to go to Spain again. Um, I went Who's to Hunter Mark, Greg from the guru podcast. So okay. I met him in network marketing. So I met him and I were two of the few white guys in the group. And, uh, and then it just kind of, it spun out of control and Greg left and, and is he in the pickup um, community or something? No, no, it's it's different. So he's he's more. Originally, it was the Ars Amarata, which is all about like loving women. Um, pickup community is different. Pickups just about getting laid. Now this is actually about like I want it to love women. And then um, this other guy, Hans Komain. I just did a podcast with him about seduction. Um, <laughs> okay, which goes right to the. You think Question it, well, you think it does, but you—the first person you should seduce every day is yourself, because um, okay. it's about you. You want to seduce the life you want, and it's—it's it's more in the the realm of creating. Like you know, you—it's—it's it's part of attraction, right? If you think about the law of attraction and the life you want, you—it's not going to come to you. You have to seduce it. Maybe it's a loaded term because seduction it, is tied in with manipulation. Correct. Yeah. Correct. That can be. That's a very loaded thing. Yeah, no, it's 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 not politically correct, which is probably why I like saying it. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> yeah. Uh so no, so he is uh so I I you know, I, he got me on like I I wasn't the best of girls and Greg Greg's had a few failed marriages and was in church and fucked him up royally and so Greg and I push each other. Greg's Greg's my dad's age, but Greg's one of my best friends. Uh Greg I pushed to just be Greg. Because I think Greg's, you know, he's he's a baby boomer, and he's a young baby boomer. But um, that generation, man, you couldn't, you know, he loves black women, like just loves black women, and he's cool. a, and he's a white guy. But like, but you know, that was something that growing up for him, I'm sure, was something that like I know men and white men in my family love black women when we go to the strip club or but when they marry somebody, it's a white woman. So, mm. and I think there's a lot of white people. Or white white people that can attest to that, and I don't think it's like a. I think it's a cultural thing. I don't think it's it's something that it's a culture that they grew up in, and it's something that they don't they don't understand why they can't let it go. I don't think it's anything to do with racism or anything. I think it's like everybody a, has a thing. Yeah, for sure. So, um, but uh, so to get to Death Squad and everything, so what had happened was is 
Um, I decided that the best thing to do in between, since I didn't, I didn't have a job at Time Warner, I didn't have that, was to eat and ate the mushrooms, and I'd never done that. I've been listening to Rogan about the the positive effects of your personality, and I've been really struggling with depression. And uh, so I ate these mushrooms and had this wild experience and um, really questioned my existence. And then when I came down, it was like, oh, I just need to love myself. And if I love myself, if I love myself, everybody else will want to love me. And I need to get out. Sure. I need to get outside more. And I didn't really figure that out for a couple of years. And then, um, so then um, from that, we ended up eating mushrooms again. And it was a lower dose. And then I went through some different things. And I started dealing with that. Everybody was just a projection of me. And I was like, well, what's the point then? And then, you know, is what? this all in Ohio or? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. This is all in Ohio. I hadn't traveled yet. So then what had happened was, is I'd been to this, this first Ohio Death Squad show in May. And I just got super sloppy wasted. And didn't really know. 2012 well. or 11? It was uh, 2012. And then later on that year, there was another party that the same two guys put it on. And what had happened was, is Red Band had came in town and uh, Red Band said, Hey, I'm at this bar if anybody wants to come and hang out. So my, my best, my now one of my best friends and like partner in the comedy business, he went out there with, uh, with Bender, with this other guy, and he was in a hospital bed and he came out. And so that, they started, we started having these pre-party, these pre-show parties because we knew there was a lot of fans in Ohio for them. And we were all like watching all the, we were really getting into comedy. Like Rogan wasn't a big thing yet. Like nobody was really listening. Like he had listeners, but not now. Like he's getting, like now oh, he's, he's humongous. Beyond. Yeah. So we started going to the, all these, sh- they started going. So my buddy Jason just started going to all these shows and he started just getting to know all these comics and he went with this dude, Izzy rock and Izzy got like Tom Segura on. And this is before Tom Segura was big. And Bert Kreischer. I saw, I think Bert, a picture with you. Bert Kreischer. Yeah. So Bert Kreischer had gotten on the show. Duncan Trussell's all before these guys were really big. And <laughs> then we kept doing these parties. So then I came into the scene and I, and I'm like, you know, post mushroom trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life. Wanting to try to figure this out. I know I got this trip to Morocco going to Casablanca for my buddy's wedding. But I'm I'm trying to build something. I've been wanting to start a podcast. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get involved with these podcasts. So I saw this guy, Izzy, who I had met at the first show like five months before. And he was starting a podcast. And it's like, okay, now it's September from May. And this guy's had Kreischer on. He's had Duncan Trussell on. He's had Ari Shafir on. He's had uh, Tom Segura on. And I thought he was the one getting all these guests on, but it was actually my buddy Jason. And oh, really? He was, yeah, he was just working with Izzy because he was like trying to do something positive with the community. So then now the, they're both they're both death squad, and I apologize for interrupting. No, you're I fine. Just kind of track up everything. No, I go all over the place, so it's fine. So then at that first show too, when they planned this big party, these people from Canada had come down, um, and this guy. Joe Tuchito was running these, wanted to start doing comedy shows in Canada. So he was hanging around at this club called the underground, which is like a, a 420 friendly comedy club. It's basically a hot box. So J- Rogan would talk about the secret show all the time. And every go to Toronto. Oh, it's the secret one. You got to go to this venue and all this. Stuff. He still does time to time. Yeah. He hasn't been there in a long time though. Um, he's probably too big and they're, they're actually about to t- tear it down because of gentrification. And uh. so um, Joe had come down uh, later on 
And so we went to the first show. So I, I started hanging out with Jason. I started just networking. So I was staying more sober. Like I was trying to be more conscious with what I was doing. Now, hold on. There were, you're burying a little bit of a lead in there on yourself. No, that's yeah. cool. Um, this is why I did the research. You had commented that early on when you were doing comedy shows that you were kind of getting lit, completely drunk, and weren't necessarily interacting. And mm-hmm. you sort of came I, to a realization that one weekend you weren't as drunk and you noticed everyone around you mm-hmm. was. Can we back up and maybe discuss that a little bit? Because I think yeah. it's an important you know, life discovery point for you. Yeah. Um, so I... I've been I've been listening to Rogan since like 2010 or even maybe 2009. I don't remember because of the UFC, and I liked listening to what he'd say on YouTube clips. And I was like, "Oh, there's this thing called a podcast." So I started listening to it, and uh, I just liked listening to what he had to say. I thought it was a, like a healthy perspective, and um, so I I'd start going to the shows with my brother and I. Um, and we would just get super drunk at the funny bone and we would want to interact with these comics and talk to these comics because we'd hear them, but we couldn't figure out like, how do we stand out? And because we would get so drunk. And then, um, what was interesting was, is just the one time I started paying attention to my buddy Jason, who clearly knew all these comics and had become friends with them in this short period of time. And he just wasn't drinking. And it was just like, he was just like a real guy and he'd have a real conversation with him and he wasn't drinking. He'd be thoughtful. And then, uh, and I was like, huh. He stood out as the only non-drunk in the room. Yeah. And then even then he'd have to like coach me because I'd want to party still. And he'd be like, yo man, you gotta, you gotta scale it back, man. Like you're getting a little too out of hand. And that was like the thing that we had to manage was drunks. Like we had to manage drunks in the community and it was like, look. You could meet these comics, but don't act a fool. And then eventually, like, so when, that's a good friend, by the way. He he's a great friend. No man, he like when I was kind of like down and out on myself, like we started hanging around and having all these conversations, and it really helped me like build build myself up again to actually feel like I had something to give to the world. And uh, yeah, man, I, I we've been best friends pretty much since. I mean. We're not as close because we live together for a few years. <laughs> Whenever you live together, it's like, God, now we're sure. fucking roommates. But we've 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 put on plenty of road trips to and from Toronto, to and from Pittsburgh, cool. to and from multiple cities in the United States. And uh, yeah, I, I you know it was something that we decided we were committed to was the comedy thing, and we were losing money. But it was like, well, this there's light at the end of the tunnel. Like we want to get this club open in Toronto. And uh, so it's wow. fast forwarding a little bit. So fast forward, I ended up getting more on my feet. I started the podcast. I didn't even have a license or my passport had expired after I went to Morocco, went to a wedding and experienced that stuff, but then went back and went straight back into the comedy shows doing just kind of doing work within the community. Okay. Um, so hold on. Yeah, I'm sorry. I might've, that's okay. I think I took you off track. That's yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So you started a podcast. I did. Now, did you start it after you started watching comedy live? Yeah, I started it way after. I wanted to start one for a long time. I think I bought my first set of equipment um, in February of 2012. And then I didn't try to set it up until November. And then ended up just buying brand new equipment because it was garbage equipment. (laughs) 
So if it makes you feel any better, I bought my equipment in 2015 and started in 2018. Well, so I can feel you. Yeah, yeah, but you're you're way better at the start than I was. So, uh, yeah. So my brother and I wanted to do it, and it was this weird thing to where I was super close with my brother, and we kind of I think we both kind of fed off each other um, with our bad habits, and then. Uh, now, is this going to be a comedy podcast? I mean, we, you're really surrounding yourself with comedy. Yeah, we did. And you wanted to do a podcast. I didn't know. I mean, at first, it, I think I was just like a Joe Rogan fanboy show, and I didn't okay. want to be. And uh, my brother would always just want to get drunk, and I'd have to say, man, like, nobody wants to listen to that. And it was something that I was taking seriously. Like, it was something that I got. It was like, um, it was kind of like my therapy, man. Like it was something for me to like bet on myself because I'd never done that. Like I, I thought I wanted to be a DJ for a while, and then I bought a DJ equipment and didn't do anything, and then I sold it. And then, uh, you know, I just was afraid to actually do anything and bet on myself or be creative. Like I had no creative outlets, and um, well, you have skills, and I mean, you thanks, man. I'm sure had them all the whole time because yeah, you did sales. You are extremely gregarious thanks man <laughs> you you know i mentioned you're walking venn diagram and that's what i mean you literally seem to be in one crowd or another crowd and then another crowd and getting a hold of you is a little touchy but cool yeah i uh i like to say i'm a hillbilly hipster uh you can even call <laughs> me a queer if you want i don't care whatever you want to call well, me i'm okay with it sidetrack there's a really funny game i'm not going to say the source of it because it gets a lot of people annoyed it was called uh pick them out um hill hillbilly or hobo <laughs> that's pretty funny um my 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 boys know how gsd crew would probably get upset about that they don't like it when i call them hipsters so uh but anyways i'm sorry oh yeah hipster or hobo sorry yeah yeah, yeah hillbilly yeah. or hobo well i mean sometimes it's hillbilly or hipster even that's it's gonna be a new one there you go so, uh, but, uh, um, yeah, so we, we, so when I started the show, it was my brother and I, and I just couldn't wait on him. And so my, my buddy Jason was sitting there, he goes, well, why don't we call it the sample hour? And then that way you can do shows without him and it can uh, be anything okay. you want. And then he would get upset, but he would just like, he just, it was like, he wanted to be a part of the show and he wanted to brag about having the show. But he didn't really want to put any work into the show. Like he just show That's up tough. drunk, and then he just talk shit about me. And then it it was it, it got pretty bad because I used to edit it all out. And then I just was like, "Man, if you want to keep being an asshole, I'll just let our listeners know what kind of an asshole you were." Because I was super mature at the time. <laughs> but it just it was getting sloppy, man. We started drinking again, and it was ruining my show. And um, so then I had like the this guy Andy Evans on and we did some sports shows. So I, I did so many different kinds of podcasts in 2013. Um, and that was like a good year. I had a, I'd, a, I'd gotten a girlfriend who was really, really, really pretty and hot. And we would spend a lot of time together and just hang out. And, um, yeah. And then she, she moved away and went to grad school and dumped me because she was younger. And I, uh, I decided I was going to get serious about my life again. And, I needed to make some money and the, the time Warner job was actually still there. I just wasn't allowed to work there for a year. So okay. I was, I was working <laughs> part time as a door guy. Um, and then I was a Samsung rep and I'd worked 
three days a week. Oh no, I'd work. Yeah, I'd work. Uh, yeah, I'd work three days a week, and I'd make enough money to pay my bills in three days a week. <laughs> and then I'd just hang out with my girlfriend the rest of the time. And her and I, her mom, her mom was like some CFO of a company, so I just stay at her mom's big fancy house while she, and was she out loved of town. you. Her mom didn't know. Her mom was not a fan of me. I, <laughs> we were cool. She didn't know that I was staying there. But no, because uh, I was told that we couldn't be together because I didn't have a, my college degree. And I was like, but I'm mm. going to get a job where I'm making 100 grand a year. Like, why do I need a college degree? And it was just one of those things. Like, also liberal. Kind of like, sure. you, well, it was her mom was like. Very educated, very successful, and she wanted the best for her daughter. So I don't, I don't blame her. It was whatever. We are different people. Our paths crossed, and I still have love for her, and that door's still open, and we're still friends. Well, that's um, good. And she's still supportive, man. I mean, like we 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 touch base here and there. But so then, like that year, it was like, okay, I'm gonna get serious. And Jason and I had this conversation about it. we kind of rested on our laurels that year. We just kind of fucked around and kind of enjoyed it. We couldn't believe that we were. We had done it. We were like, okay, these are people we just used to listen to. Now they know our names. They interact with us. Jason started going to and from Canada to get that Canada, like the Canada shows going. I was still not having a license or a passport. And then, um, so now these were, um, this was Death Squad, Squad Ohio. This was Death Squad Ohio. Now, and, are you a founder or a member? I mean, what what is that exactly? It's it's it was like Fight Club, man. You're you're. Your involved your <laughs> your role is based on your involvement, man. First rule is Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. Well, I saw one show that was run by Drew Sample. That was that was uh, JA Promotions. Um, that was the Kill Tony, and there was Kill Tony. A, that's an awesome podcast, by the way. Yeah, and there was another one in Toronto that we did, and Jason was the uh, he was the Iron Patriot and had a dance on stage in the uniform and. He was the Iron Patriot. Yeah, in Toronto. There's a huge story behind the the actual Iron. Yeah, Patriot. they got they got rid of him because the guy wanted he, money, and so then they'd always have a fake one. So they had Jason dress up as him, Brian and Tony did, and then uh, the a real Iron Patriot came back and creeped them out. Yeah, yeah. And so then, uh, uh, what? <laughs> oh God. Yeah. So what what happened was then they told him, "Oh, it's one of your own Canadians." And they said, ha, 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 no, it's not. He's, he's from Ohio like us. And we were like, just shit on people <laughs> in Toronto. And then um, those shows went really well. Like we helped. Uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun. And that was like my first show that I got involved with um, in Toronto. So it was like when I first got my passport, that was the first time I could come up. And I'd, I'd start working at Time Warner. I got my driver's license back and I was making good money. So it was like I was getting back onto like feeling confident. It's like, okay, so not only, and I took that job again, just much like how I took the Verizon job was for light at the end of the tunnel. Because when, sure. I, when I, when I had lost my job, uh, when I'd actually quit my job at Verizon, I didn't have something, didn't have a job. Um, I was really mad at myself because I had these conversations with myself. Like I'm an entrepreneur. Eventually I'm going to find some business that I want to do. And I'm going to be successful at it, but I just don't know what that business is. Like I don't, sure. I don't know what it is. Like I don't know what it. I, I don't know what I have a passion for. And um, so I, I loved comedy, and I thought I wanted to do stand up, and I met stand up comedians, and I watched them. I'm like, man, that's a different kind of funny, and that's have you tried really hard? No, I haven't. I haven't even tried it. I went to this open mic last week, and it was really awful. 
and I feel like I'm actually qualified to shit on it, but I can't. Like it's like you know, it it takes balls to get on stage, even if it's at sure. a move, even if it's at a movie theater bar or the Ohio State Comedy Club. Um, did you by chance? Um, I'm really early into my podcast. You're fine. One thing I've done is I've listened to a ton of stand-ups doing podcasts and doing acts because I feel the delivery that they give is better than anything else out there. And I was wondering if you perhaps had the same attitude that you were sort of studying the rhythm and the patterns and the feelings and getting to them because the deepest conversations I feel are on the burp, burp, burp. Yeah. With Kreischer or Ari um, Shafir has done some really deep stuff talking to Ralphie Mays about fat and ego. And the comedians don't have the um, giant egos or they do, but they're open enough to really dig down. And I just, I find that actually the most amazing mining material out there. Yeah, I was I was a big fan of uh, Duncan's show before Duncan became a cult leader. Um, I was a big fan <laughs> of Rogan's show until I don't know, like it just was like I I just didn't I I didn't want to be a fanboy, so I stopped listening and I didn't want him to influence me anymore. And I wanted to just become my own person, so that was why I stopped listening to Joe. And then when I started listening to it again, it was just like God, he's <laughs> the show had changed. It wasn't the same. It's still. It, it's it's grown up yeah it's grown up and i liked it when i was still a little kid with red band <laughs> and red band i mean red band wasn't like he's my he's he's my homie and all and he's a, he's whenever he's in town we hang out and i've cool I've, I've hung out with him in toronto and we've hung out with him here we've put on shows i've paid him money but he wasn't the best employee like he like he was so Has he been funny. on sample hour yet no we were, we were meant to do it man like Oh, come on. Now. Someday. But it's like, man, when those guys are here hanging out, like, I don't I mean, I don't separately. Yeah, I don't want to bother them. And I, I could email them and I'd emailed them a couple times and wanted to talk to them about it. And it just it just never happened, man. I, I think it's, uh, you know, I haven't had Tony on. Um, OK, I have an inside joke for everyone who listens to this, follows MMA and people. I challenge you to get them on your show and that'll get you to be on James Miller's coolest humans podcast. Yeah. James Miller. What a, what a tool. No, I'm just kidding. I like that guy. He's my boy. That's an inside you get them on. You'll be a coolest human than if you can actually get them on. James Miller's a fucking asshole. And he says that I'm not cool enough. I'm on the list, but he has like, he's had so many people come on and James. It's a long list. I've been on his show. I know he's such a fucking dick. And it's like, dude, I like being a guest. Like, it's it's nice to be asked questions. So then I don't have to talk over my guests to get my points out. That's why I'm trying to do more solo shows. There you go. So just bring Red Band and Hinchcliffe on, and I'll I'll pressure James I, Miller to to bump you up. up. Yeah, so you'll be like number two hundred. I I haven't talked to Tony in a while. Uh, Jason had lunch with him uh, last time he was in town. I had already booked the weekend with Thaddeus Russell. And that was the same weekend Red Band came into town last time. Oh, damn. And I messaged him like, dude, I booked going to L.A. a month before you announced you were coming. <laughs> and he was he was kind of salty about it. I did hang out with Dean Del Rey. I still talk to Dean Del Rey quite a bit. He's not as well known, but he's super, super funny. Aaron Kleiber and I are still close. He just I just went to his special um, in Pittsburgh. And Aaron, he's he's from the Midwest. He still lives in the Midwest. I, I have 
mad respect for Marin because he's a family man and his material is all about being a family man. And he's like, I the first time I saw him, it was a card with uh, Red Band, Tony Hinchcliffe, Tom Segura, Doug Benson, um, and somebody else. And Aaron Kleiber was the funniest person there, and he was hosting the show. And hmm. he stole the show, and I thought, I got to talk to that guy. He is so funny. And then um, he came, and we started hanging out with him because he opened for Bob Saget uh, at the Funny Bone. He used to do gigs with Bob Saget. And then Aaron just, you know, Aaron is Aaron is a good friend of mine. Like, Aaron and I, like, the best podcast are the conversations that we can't have on recording. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm huge. Like, Aaron, I hope his, his special gets picked up with, netflix or something like that so he can be a household name because man a lot of these guys are too famous to fuck with me anymore man like a lot of these guys are getting too big like it's like it's i haven't been to a burt show in so long because burt's so busy that it's like you know burt <laughs> it's it's just one of those things like burt follows me on twitter and uh i i burt burt was supposed to be on my show a couple times and it just never worked out um and then um but he's get on his show man i i'm <laughs> what are they going to talk to me about, man? Like they they don't they don't know that I farm. They just think I'm a comedy promoter still. And then, uh, um, you know, well, maybe he raises someday. chickens. Who? Pointed out, Bert raises chickens. Does he know? Hmm. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, I don't raises chickens to L.A. and you farm I just, in Ohio, man. The, the, so the thing is, is whenever he's in Columbus, man, he's so f- big now. Like Tom sells out every show, so it's yeah, like Tom's bigger than Bert. Well, because Tom was doing Netflix specials before Bert. And so Tom, like, I remember we went and they opened up an extra show and they just redone it. And it was like just a small thing. And Tom was just doing it. Tom was super funny. Then afterward, we go and he's eating pizza and we just catch up with him and bullshit because we brought Tom and his wife out to Toronto. And uh, cool. so he did when it was still the High on Trees promotion. Um, and then... That's since dissolved, and now it's the Corner Comedy Club. So, yeah, I you know we've done a lot in comedy. Um, I'm a minority owner in the club. It's on Speaker's Corner in Toronto. And then since the day that wow. the day the club opened, we did um, one more show because Bert we had to recancel because somebody hit him when he was on his motorcycle. And I haven't done a show since. And that we we planned. We planned that show so it would be as successful as it possibly could. Like we made sure there's no hmm. Ohio State game or anything. And then after we plan it, Ron White books and the Dom Herrera is there in Columbus. And it was like that was the, all that fan base that would have probably came to us. Yeah. So, I mean, there's comedy. That door isn't closed. It's just I lost so much money doing comedy. <laughs> And I have a club that I've never been to that I'm a minority owner in. And uh, so that, that's what closed the comedy chapter. And then I, I make, I'll make you a deal. Yeah. This is a weird coincidence. I'm going to Toronto in July for my anniversary. Oh, nice. You should go to, uh, you should take your wife to the corner comedy yeah, maybe, club. Yeah. Maybe a part owner can meet us. There. <sighs> man, that's the worst time of the year to have me meet anywhere. I'll be in the middle of farming season, man. You never know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm open to it. I don't want to say no. I, I mean, I need to get up there, but man, July is there. There was a show that we were supposed to go up to with uh, 
Dean Del Rey and uh, Red Band and he's the funny. He's a writer and he just started doing stand up. He's been on Rogan a few times. He's a black guy. Ian. Ian Edwards. Ian Edwards. Yeah, Ian Edwards. And that would have been great. Um, but I was in the middle of I was like, dude, I can't I can't leave. Rich and I just started working together and it was like we were in the thick of things. It's like, man, I cannot go. I can't even okay, afford to pay my Unstructured fans. Okay, unstructured fans and hopefully some sample hour yeah. pullover. We need to start pressuring the Drew here. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, if you go to Toronto, eat at AFT. AFT. Um, my buddy uh, owns AFT. Uh, well, he's my buddy now because um, I met him because we would we'd take comics there to eat. And <laughs> AFT is wonderful. And then uh, and go to the, the Corner Comedy Club. There's a lot of history in Toronto. It's Speaker's Corner, and that's where, like, Bare Naked Ladies got started and everything. There was a whole segment on MTV for a while called Speaker's Corner. So, um, but, uh, yeah, man. So that was, that was the, the chapter closing of comedy. And then I went balls deep in farming. Cause I was like, you know, I gotta, gotta yeah, find this is something. When? Uh, so I moved into my house and I was dabbling in farming when I was doing comedy. Um, like what, I was helping 2013, 2014, 2014, 20, 2015. Yeah. It was 2015, 2014 was pure comedy. 2015, I'd I'd moved into my house and cut down a bunch of trees and started tilling up the backyard. And uh, oddly enough, man, this is a pretty fucking weird story. Can I share this? Uh, Please, an exclusive. (laughs) Yeah, so recently I got a call. I got a message. So Jessica Bogart was doing the... She was the original promoter in Columbus for shows. So she was doing... um, It was like Bodog Comedy... And uh, they did the first Death Squad show with Joey Diaz and Red Band. And then they brought out, they they did big shows. And they I'm sure they lost a bunch of money too. And so Jessica graduated high school from the same high school I did. And she graduated with my brother. Hmm. So I was at the pizza shop, man, because I, I work at the pizza shop part-time. Um, I'm a 1099 contractor. I refuse. To this day? Yeah, I do it on a couple days a week. Um, Okay. I'll probably phase out during the summer. And so uh I I started doing that um uh back in June um because unemployment ran out. I was like I need to make sure I can make money and I was all, Drew, I, I'm going to make a I'm going to make a bingo game about you, I think. Yeah. What is your Yeah, I bounce all over, man. <laughs> so I'm, I I gave too many details sometimes. So I got a Facebook message from her and I hadn't heard from her in years and she goes Hey, Drew, it's been a while. I go, hey, what's going on? She's like, do you live on such and such, such and such? And I go, yeah, that's my address. And she was like, we were the two, we used to own that house. Whoa. And I'm like, that's weird. And so, yeah, so this is kind of a weird thing, man. And I can get kind of, um, I can get pretty woo-woo and the hippie can come out of me and we'll get the positive. Uh, So... Before I moved to my house to turn it into an urban farm, um, it was abandoned for eight years. And this guy, this couple across the street, Charlie and Dennis, Charlie was like the the the, the block mayor. Like, and Charlie actually recently came back last summer and helped me out a lot. Like, because I was so overwhelmed with farming, I wasn't talking to my neighbors, and it kind of got me in some trouble. Um, but then I got myself. It wasn't really any any real trouble, but um, it was threatening, harassing notes from the city because the neighbors had complained. Um, cause I had a big mm-hmm. stack of wood chips in my driveway and 
So Charlie had treated this house like a community garden, and they always have bonfires, and they always had gardens there to the point to where mm. one year when I first tilled, I had, um, I had uh, butternut squash that just came up that who knows <laughs> random it planted yeah this volunteer and it yielded awesome i mean it was like it, it, it did really well and so charlie um so it's kind of weird man i i kind of think you know and then i came here and now what i'm doing with the soil so you know when, when you look at mycelium and you look at soil and then they're they're living organisms essentially and then i think about like how this house is even tied to me in the comedy business and mm -hmm. because of the other promoter and being a part of this random neighborhood in a city of it's a metropolitan area of 2 million people. Your um, home. What's that? Your home. Yeah. Everything's coming together. Yeah. And it's, it's saying, it's but home. it's like, it's but, like the uh, ley lines are crossing at that point. But did the soil bring me here? Did me eating those mushrooms? Maybe you brought the soil. Well, but I ate those mushrooms, and then I, I figured out to get outside once I moved here, and then I got my hands in the dirt, and I started losing weight, and I started like making even more differences in my life. And so I like to get woo-woo, and I like to ask the question is, did the soil bring me here? Did the mushrooms under in that, in that soil, did that mycelium in that soil, did that bring me here? I don't know. I would say that Yes and no. Yeah. Um, take, for example, your fellow promoter. You went to the same school. You both got involved in comedy. You both have similar interests. You both were attracted to the same house. I didn't even know that this... Ha okay. Well, that, but my point is that if you have five things in common, it's like a Pandora's playlist. Yeah. Part of the magic of it is that, oh, people who like these four tracks also seem to like that fifth track. Yeah, and that was that was the cool thing so. about Death Squad at first or any online community that I've since become a part of was because it was like, oh, so we like these things, so do you also like this thing? And it was like fun to find out the, the similar interests, whether it was sneakers. Um, oh, yeah, I was yeah. in the sneaker business, too, for a little bit. So uh, here we go. <laughs> I've, been in, okay, I've, been yeah. in, I've been in a lot of businesses, man. I, I don't know. It's a drinking game it. now. Yeah, I've I've been I've done so when I say micro entrepreneur, I've done a lot of trade shows. I've helped my stepmom with her art because I'm I'm very good at belly to belly sales and networking. I get good networking through belly to belly sales. Well, you're an awesome personality. I mean, that Thanks, completely man. comes out. Like I told you in the other meetups, I could hear you just dominating a room. Oh, yeah, I did that at the I I I like to not think I dominated. I like to think I helped it's not connect your fault. the dots. Like, it, 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 look, you, there's a vacuum. I don't think you like vacuums. No. And if it's there, you take the you take the space and you work with it. It's not an insult. That's a, I a really it. useful, powerful skill to have. Yeah. And my my buddy did a whole podcast about me without me about how good I was at networking. Uh, when we went to ooh. Nathan Frazier, he has the uh, uh, the Nathan Frazier show, and uh, I'm look that one up. Yeah, he he's uh, he's big into sales and copy. Um, we went to the weekend of Thaddeus Russell and I brought, there was two other Columbus guys that came to Alex who'd been to the first one of them, Nate, who was from MMA. And I made it a point to learn everyone's name. I don't remember them now, but I was like, I'm going to do this just to prove that we don't need name tags. <laughs> and it was like, a, you don't need name tags, but it was the point was you, 
and then I and then we went through this thing and I kept like I'd get conversations I'm like you know you should talk to you should talk to that person because they like that too and then I'd introduce them I'd say hey such and such this is such and such then I move on and then I talk to more people and I get them talking and um and yeah because I wanted it to be I wanted it to be really successful for Thad and Brett and um be- have you heard of um, Malcolm Gladwell and read his books I can't remember if it's Tipping Point or Blink, but he talks about mavens and connectors. And you're definitely a full-on connector. Yeah, that was, for me, I read this book called The Go-Giver. And there's this character in it called The Connector. And I was like, I want to be that guy. And I read that book you're when it. I was like uh, 22. And I was like, oh, that's that was my kind of like my goal. Yeah, I want to connect dots, man. That's something that's I'm, I'm most passionate about. So when I say like I'm not really into farming, I am, but I'm not. My passion is connecting dots. My passion is finding new challenges and and businesses that people don't know about, and then just kind now of. Are moving. you are you in line with the Thaddeus Russell uh, principle of work sucks? It's just a means to the end. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, work to work live. Ended. Yeah, I work to live. That that though, you know, he 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 talks shit on that Christian work ethic. That's because that's him. Like that is that's not fun. a hedonist. He's cool. I love that. That is like a. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we got to connect. I I really want to go to New Orleans for that one, but it's probably not in the cards. Um, I liked talking to Thad quite a bit, and Thad, I always appreciated Thad, and I'd be like, man, why do people get so pissed off? But Thad, like I had, a, I was fortunate enough to have really good college professors at the University of Toledo. Like, well, not professors. I had one that really just challenged me, and I thought he was an asshole at first, and then I was like, oh no, man, he wants me to get better. Hmm. And his name was uh, Doctor Catanzaro, and man, like, uh, I found out <laughs> I wrote him as soon as I got laid off because I wanted to really? get him on the podcast because I. I I found him again in 2012 when I started the show and I said to check it out. Um, and then I wrote him again and he didn't, it, his email bounced back and I was like, this is weird. I can't, all I can see is that he taught at that school. And then a year to the day of his death afterward, I, oh, I thought, let me check the obituaries and he had passed away. I was like, okay, Damn. that's called burying the lead. We need to work on this. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, he uh and it was actually right before it was before I went out to see Thad cuz I was going to write him about how oh, I'm going to go to this Renegade University event. I was super excited about it. Wow. Cuz he he had taught me how to like uh he taught me how to become a an okay writer. I could probably become a good writer if I wanted to put the work in. Um he was a, he was a he was a great guy. Turned out he was gay too. I had no idea. Like it was like I usually don't get God on that. My my mom was a AIDS and HIV social worker. All my babysitters were gay growing up. So it was like, a, you know, that was something that was like, oh, yeah, that guy's gay for sure. Like, he might not even know it yet. Like, it was something I, I could see. Ironically, I think the um, difficulty in finding some people gay and others not does lend credence to the uh, general gender role concept. Yeah, it, because some gays are more masculine, some gays are less masculine. You have husbands, you have wives, even within 
uh, same-sex marriage. So I, I think it kind of confuses the whole issue. Yeah, I think so. I think, well, I think too, um, I was younger too. Like I, I think it was a game I would play because it was like, I wanted to, I wanted to try to self-affirm that I was smart or that I could perceive things and I could pick up on sure. things. Um, I still play games like that. Like I, I try to guess what a person's behavior is <laughs> going to be next when I'm driving. Um, I, how do you do? I think I do pretty well. I drive a lot. So you, you pick up on the flow. I think flow is a weird concept that we don't talk about. Like flow, there's, there's a flow to our movement. There's definitely mathematical patterns to the things we do and we don't understand them. And I think except for drew on a through line. I, I, I don't I don't understand it most of the time, but it's just like I, I'll pick up on a pattern and I don't know why I'm picking up on it. And I'm like, I bet if I do this, he's going to do this. And it's even something simple. Like if I just pull up enough and then I slow down, they'll speed up. And it's like these weird mm-hmm. things that I it's it's uh so I, I think I, I I might be lost in the weeds now, but I, you know, I, I try to study influence positively and i think you know it was something we were we were talking about like i gotta read persuasion still by robert cialdini yeah um, have you read uh his other one i read influence yeah i read the most and recent 48 version. laws of power didn't read that one. him but it was somebody else okay no i read uh read a lot of the books scott adams recommended it was kind of interesting because green i think it is 48 laws of power sorry okay no you're fine um and then uh that was why i reached out to hunter because he went on when i heard him on because I honestly wasn't uh, a huge fan of Callan. Like I liked I, that's not true. Like I liked Callan on uh, on Rogan, and I actually I remember the day that I'd lost. Uh, it was like I was kind of settling in with the fact that I didn't have a job uh, in between Verizon and Time Warner. Callan had that show that was on Spike, where it was like they were cops, but it was in this. It was this goofy comedy, and he was this like perverted sergeant. He would he would add like he would. Uh, he would uh, improv a lot of stuff, and it was super funny. Um, and so, uh, yeah, man, I, I liked Callan, and then I, I didn't really listen. Um, it was weird. I always, he'd always kind of annoy me when he'd get trolled by Eddie Bravo, and I was like, why does he let Eddie Bravo <laughs> troll him so much? He would get so mad, and Eddie would just get under his skin, and it was so funny. And I was <laughs> like, why does he allow that? Like, he has to realize he's getting trolled. He does, I'm sure. And then I think it's a role. Yeah, it probably is. He's probably getting me. And then uh, Hunter came on, man. And Hunter just, I thought he was awesome on Rogan. You know, he, he was pointing out, he talked about some real controversial things, referencing Thomas Sowell and uh, talked about hillbillies and, and not necessarily a negative way, which was cool. And sure. uh, and then also he was talking about the same things that I'd heard Scott Adams talk about. And um, so I... And I liked how he was talking shit about anarcho-capitalists or the hardcore. Of, and Sam Harris. And Sam Harris especially. Because I was never a fan of Sam Harris. Because, and it wasn't even Sam Harris that I had an issue with. It was people that would do the same thing they do with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. It's like, oh, he said something and he's so brilliant. He has a PhD and it's like, man, he's just articulate and he has a college degree. Yeah. That's why you like Thaddeus Russell and yeah. Brett Benoit. I don't know how Vinod. to say his last Brett name. Brett Vinod. Brett doesn't. Is, I think Brett just doesn't master. don't like authority. No, I'm an anti-authority guy too. And actually being Scots-Irish, it's probably, it's very much so my culture. I remember just saying, um, 
growing up, like I, I remember my grandpa saying, oh, I never would have, he was grateful he didn't get drafted in the Korean War because of his, he's got a, he was, he failed his physical when they drafted him because his, his right arm, he can only move like, he could barely move it because it was stomped on by a horse when he was a kid. Um, sure. And uh, he was like, I, I, I couldn't handle somebody telling me what to do like that. And I've always been like that. Like I was diagnosed with oppositional defiance disorder and all this stuff. Like I, I don't handle authority well. And, uh, and thankfully I attract people like that. So like Rich, he's my farm manager. He's like the farm would die without him. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he's the same way. So him and I will butt heads because we'll, we'll start pissing each other off. And then we just, we get lost in the weeds. Then we come back and hey, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry too. Like, and uh, we balance each other out quite a bit, but man, like he, he's an alarm clock built into the business and he'll lose his shit on me. And it's good because otherwise I'm just my head's up my ass or something like that. So I'm just, my head's in the clouds or I'm thinking about something else or just trying to have fun or whatever. Speaking of rich, um, you had told a story recently about the alley and dog shit that I thought was really kind of profound. And I was hoping you would maybe elaborate on that. Yeah. Um, Man, Rich is a an inspiring guy. He uh he listened to my show and um like all my episodes after I met him at Permaculture Voices because he I mean when you look at what he was doing on his property in Maryland, like you talk about like small scale urban permaculture, like it was really impressive. And uh Rich is very much so like a mad scientist. Like if you look at my room, it's just kind of chaotic. And you look at Rich's room, it's more of an organized chaos. But it's sorted and it's organized. And Rich, um, he uh, he just wants to do a lot of good. And I think it's like a you know he 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 hasn't he hasn't become as cynical as I have when it comes to you know my values. I think you know I, I when I first got into urban farming, it was because I wanted to. Wanted to, you know, battle the food deserts and all that other bullshit. And um, <laughs> and then I just got this dose of reality that the people didn't give a fuck. And I had cleaned up this public lot and uh, got harassed by the city um, and stopped people from dumping trash on it after I spent six hours from cleaning it. And I talked to people about it. And then um, ultimately, I, I just kind of stopped doing it because of the harassment from the city. And then I, I just kind of had this bad taste in my mouth about it. And it really negatively affected me. And so Rich, uh, when Rich first moved here, he's like, man, it's not really that bad. Because I said I lived in the hood. And then uh, Rich started walking the alleys. And then he goes, oh, no, like, it's it's pretty fucking bad, man. And he kind of see it, saw that being in houses, how there's so much junk in the back of people's yards. People just dump stuff in the alley and... If they don't want to, you know, there's so many tires and the city won't come and grab tires because they're like, we already will clean up the trash, but we don't, you got to pay to dump the tires. So there's, there's, I think, I don't remember the last count of what Rich had on tires. Um, It was, it was pretty high. I mean, it, it was a pretty substantial number, like well over 30, I believe. Um, hmm. And so Rich just one day when I was in uh, Wyoming, Rich took my truck and he just filled it up with trash and he just started cleaning up the alley and then he started walking the dog again and he noticed that somebody had 
taken their dog shit from the backyard and just dumped it right where they dumped their trash or somebody else had dumped trash and he was telling me about it and i said well what are you gonna do about it he goes just gonna go pick it up man and i hmm. go well why are you gonna do that he goes well i mean what am i gonna report her i mean i'm trying to build a community i'm trying to build i'm trying to get people to give a shit around here so i'm just gonna go pick up dog shit then and it, hmm. it was kind of like one of those things to where you know, I, you know, or even with recycling, like I became a pretty cynical prick about recycling. And, you know, one time him and I got in this big argument about it because um, I was in the middle of something. He was showing me this organic sweet potato that doesn't need packaged. And it's in this plastic and styrofoam and it has no need to like it's it's pretty fucking stupid. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't give a fuck, man. And it it was kind of like one of those things like, dude, like, why are you being a hypocrite? Like, you do give a fuck like. Quit pretending like you don't give a fuck. There's just nothing macho about that, Drew. And uh, and he's right. Um, you know, I, I just watched this this thing. This other thing that Henry Rollins had done. And I'm not even a huge Henry Rollins fan, even though I liked him when I was a kid because I saw him on Beavis and Butthead and I thought, oh, he's a punk rocker and shit. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, punk rock poet. Yeah. And uh, he had, he was talking about writing and a lot of male writers, they have their dick in the way of their writing and <laughs> if they could just get their dick out of things. And I think that's, that's the way with a lot of things that I'm kind of coming to these realizations, these things that I do, um, even with women, like, I think it's like, uh, pretty crazy about this girl, but I'm right now. And we're kind of, I, I think it's, I think it's kind of done, unfortunately, but is she your friend? Yeah, we're friends, and I want to leave this situation gracefully. And I care a lot about her, and it's not really anything. Like, neither of us wanted a relationship, but then it's like, I have strong feelings. So then it's like, I sure I, sure I, I put pressure on her, and, and I'm doing stuff. And then I got all this other stuff going on with my grandfather and just my business. Yeah. And so it's like, I, I think for me, I kind of use her as a release or an escape too much. And, I don't, and that's not really fair. So you put a lot on her? I think I do, emotionally, unintentionally. And I th- have you talked to her about that? Um No, I need to, but I mean, whether or not you guys stay together, have you considered just kind of telling her, hey, you know what? I think I may be doing this to you. T- take it any way you want. Yeah. I just want you to know that I recognize that um this is what I can perceive that maybe I'm doing from an outside perspective and hey i kind of appreciate you and i apologize for putting so much weight on yeah i need to do that because i i think i'm doing that now um yeah because i think it's like we're kind of in this situation to where um she's got dreams that she's trying to do too and i want to help her and I think she's afraid to let me in and help her because I could actually really help her with what she wants to do because I, I, I think I'm bringing too much baggage with me to this, to this situation. And I'm not even, are you a fixer? <sighs> Meaning if she tells you, um, she's wanting oh. to do something, you say, Oh, well, yeah, just do this and this yeah, and that. I totally quit. am. Yeah, I totally yeah, am. I that's, to that can be, a. Sometimes that can be a challenge in a relationship because the partner may just want you to say, wow, that's tough. Oh, that's awesome. I, I think it's cool that you're really pushing against it and and not necessarily providing a solution, which I, I've gone through myself and th- that's a nightmare. But 
it can be one of those weird things. Well, that- I'm a strong personality man, and she's an independent woman, and it's like I want to take action. Sure. And um, <laughs> yeah, What's up that there's not an action to take. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, so I th- I don't know. I think um, it's because we're, I mean we're we're just hanging out, and we're we are friends. I mean we don't have any expectations well i don't try to have expectations i don't try to add meaning but i do and it's like right. it's something that I, i'm trying not to but you know ultimately like this whole no 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 why, 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 why would you try not to if you really feel something yeah how is that useful to say because, um i really have these meaning yo, these, because these i want to be i want to be open to all outcomes but attached to none and I think I get I get attached to to the idea of the outcome. I get caught up in the kill. Um, but then it, then you're not wed to anything. It, it's a it's a weird dichotomy by yeah. by not wanting to commit in any direction because you want to be open. You kind of are insincere. Just something to consider. Yeah, no, that is something to consider. Not necessarily what you signed up to do, but no, yeah. I mean, I said I'd talk about anything. Fuck, what I get myself into. There you go. Uh, Let's talk about your grandfather because I think this is kind of a shadow over you. Yeah, it's a huge shadow over me. It's hard to. I I don't I don't know how much time he's got left, and it's it's uh it's pretty terrifying for me. Now, what is he to you? I mean, is he like a second father? Or I know he has a profound influence. Tell tell us about it. Uh, yeah, uh, man, it's 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 kind of hit me. I think more so uh, within the last like couple weeks. Um, he's. He is, he was my babysitter as a kid. Like I, every day from the time that my mom was comfortable, like from when I could walk and, um, my, I was with my grandfather and like mm-hmm. every day he was retired. So until I went to kindergarten, so probably from when I was like one and a half or whatever age I was to when I went to kindergarten, I was with him and then I was in kindergarten only it was full full days and it was only like two or three days a week and then when the off days I was with him and then I went to first grade and first grade sucks I never got to see my pa and then um second grade my parents split up third grade my mom told us we were moving away to Columbus fourth grade we moved to Columbus I rarely saw my pa and uh yeah, when I was a kid, I mean, he, he taught me multiplication tables through playing cards, and I didn't even realize he did. Um, <laughs> we would always do work. Uh, I'd always help him with whatever projects he was doing. And he'd always just tell me, you know, buddy, all that matters is the conversations you have with that guy that looks back at you in the mirror. Hmm. And you can't lie to that guy, so don't even try to. And so he was your hero. Yeah, well, yeah. I think like Paul, yeah, he had a heart attack when I was a junior in high school. And that's when I decided to go back to Toledo so I could be closer to him. And then when I was in Toledo, we went, he took me to car auctions, taught me how to get cheap cars, made sure I knew how to change tires, made sure I knew how to do a lot of different stuff that I wouldn't have done. Um, 
and uh, we we just had a good time. We, we would go to the junk stores, and I'd I'd spend some time with him in the summer. But I remember like I'd gotten really, I'd gotten I'd put on a lot of weight when my parents split up. And I used to be like a strong kid when I was a little kid. I could do push ups, and he he had me in taekwondo. Um, and uh, I remember like in high school. He'd always want to see how many push-ups I could do, and I remember I could <laughs> I could clap, and he was he was proud of me because I'd kind of got my my body back together. And then I went up there and we went to college, and uh, he would call me. I remember there was, I was in the gym working out, and it was my birthday, and he wanted to take me out to breakfast before class. So he calls at like six a.m. and he <laughs> I had this recording, and it and I had this weird roommate whose nickname was Creepy Joe. And pause, pause on the pause on the line, and he's like, "Hey, Dookie Doo," because that's what he, he named me after uh, the Duke. <laughs> so he's, like, "Hey, Dookie Doo, wake up, wake up, wake up!" And, oh, he goes, "It's six fifty-eight. Wake up, wake up, wake up!" Then he hang up, and he called again. It's six fifty-nine, <laughs> and then he calls. He's like, "It's seven o'clock," and then Joe goes, "Drew's not here," and he goes, "Oh, sorry." <laughs> and then he hung up the phone, and. uh and yeah, so uh, so so Pa, um, yeah, so Pa Pa was like, you know, it, it, we would always go to it was always me, him, and Uncle Ray, or you know, he'd, he'd always just say, "Buddy, like, you know, don't be afraid to be a big fish in a small pond, or you know, make sure, you know, make sure you're doing this for you, because when you're doing this for you, you're doing this for us." It always like make me see the bigger values of family, and that um, it was it, it was important to 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 grow. And I'd always have conversations with him, and he'd always just tell me stories and talk. And and then um, but he I was think, always there. Yeah, yeah, he's always always still still is. I mean, if I needed him, he might not be as he might not be as coherent, but he's sure. he's still there. And uh, so Paul like. You know, he's a blue-collar guy. He moved to Toledo from Kentucky to escape starvation. Um, worked on the railroad. Hustled his way to work on the railroad just because he worked hard and they needed workers. And uh, mm-hmm. it was six weeks in. We got the uh, we got his his physical, and then he had side businesses. He was a musician. He he has vinyl albums that he had. He went down to Nashville and recorded. Thought about doing it full time, but didn't want to jump away because he had six kids got custody of his six kids in the 50s uh, one of my mom's first memories is my uncle bill sitting in the front seat um my biological grandmother's brother sitting in between him and my pa and my uncle bill has a gun to him and my pa <laughs> is saying you know never to come back and get these kids again right okay wow. as long as we understand that we don't have any more problems and uh so I mean he 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 didn't let anything stop him. And uh so I, I think he, he kind of took that that spirit of the Scots Irish or you know that's that's in that's kind of mm-hmm. talked about. And uh, you know, so but he's he's kind of built Toledo. Like he built a lot of the roads with his dump truck company. And when he turned like he had this quadruple bypass surgery. And mm-hmm. ever since then, like he just, he was in his late seventies. He just hasn't recovered. And it's like his sure. body just started to work out on him. Cause he was run over by a dump truck, drugged by a train, Good stomped God. by a horse. I mean, like he's, he's still <laughs> tough. I mean, like he probably should have recently died and didn't, and he doesn't complain. 
And uh, so it's it's um he's in this rehab facility and he's looked better than he has in a while, but he still can't always get engaged. And uh, his longtime girlfriend of like twenty something years just died last summer. And I actually I was it was no wow. it was actually like a year ago. And actually I went up there with him to visit because I had to take him to an appointment for skin cancer, and I actually had sun poisoning, and my eyes were pretty much swollen shut. And uh, he looked over at me and he said, buddy, I, Evelyn was telling me she doesn't think she's got much time left. And then the phone rang and I answered and it was uh, one of her granddaughters saying that she's passing. We need to get to the hospital. Yeah. And so I think when she was gone, she helped him out a lot and helped him you know, clean his house and stuff. He's kind of old fashioned. So we it's been stressful we've been getting this house ready uh my brother actually just moved in with uh his fiance and her son and they're gonna and that's good because the kid being around paul loves kids and he hates tv so he, he'll have a kid to entertain him instead of a tv good and yeah. uh so paul he's still in this rehab facility but it's just like you know it, he's not I, I recently went to wyoming and i was i was talking to uh michael jordan the bee whispers father and he's 75 so he's about 10 years younger than paul and pops we just call him pops because that's what michael calls him and pops would just talk to me and he just nonstop was sharing his wisdom with me and i just hmm. enjoyed it and listened because like i always had all these older relatives that would talk to me and i recently also right. just lost my grandmother who was like my other super close I, I was close with both my grandmothers so and that was on my dad's side. So that was last summer. So I've been kind of in this, I'm at this point in my life to where the older figures in my family are moving on. And now my parents are now the oldest members of their family. And now like I'm the next coming up. And now like I have to have a, a bigger role in the family. So you feel like you're starting to have to carry more responsibility than you necessarily wanted to deal with. Well, I feel obligated to because if I don't, my mom's uh, a wreck and she just isn't as savvy with business stuff as I am, especially like I know enough of like I'm, I can't plan an estate, but I know which we should want for the estate so we could talk to the right person. Sure. And my mom's like the executor of the estate. Um, my grandfather is. Um, oh, shit. I, I kind of let the cat out of the Well, people could put it together. He owns the note on my house, so my grandfather's the reason why I even have my house, because mm -hmm. uh, he paid for the house, and then I have a mortgage with him. And it's right. and I figured that out because he was like, "Buddy, I'm not buying you that house. You have to figure out a way for this to work for both of us." And I said, "Cool." And so he's making more money uh, than he would in a savings account. So right, because um, he's gonna make yeah, it's 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 a pretty good, um, like three percent interest rate. So, and I have a, I mean, my house is $45,000. So my mortgage is only like three ten forty nine a month. So, cool. you know, like he, he, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he means a lot to me. And, uh, his girlfriend's granddaughter, uh, he called Kadiddle Hopper and she's probably <laughs> Heather. She's like his other favorite and Heather and I, we've been, I never really knew Heather. She's younger. And, uh, we've been talking a lot more and I, I got to call her and update her about how his health is. And I know I'm going to have to be the one that calls her to tell, tells her when he passes. And I'm not looking forward to that at all. 
Well, so don't don't beg the um, misery. Yeah, I'm not begging the misery. It's just the uh, sometimes it. Yeah, but sometimes it just hits me. Like sometimes it's like I'm just sitting there and I'm like, "Fuck, man, that day could be, could be. It could, man, that old bastard's so tough. It could be ten years from now, or it could be in a week. I don't know." And that makes it hard to deal with. I I know my father. Not to hijack. Um, no, you're fine. Was a super strong guy, strongest person I know. And watching him have one arm seized up because of cancer, trying to care for my mother, you know, this giant lion of a figure withering into this pathetic mess that I have to call paramedics to get him off the toilet. Yeah. It's hard. So I, I do understand how it is because... Your grandfather's a lion to you. Yeah, I mean, same with uh, same with Uncle Ray. Very, like I saw Uncle yeah. Ray going to jaundice. I saw his his scleras, the whites of his eyes turn yellow, and I saw him in hospice, and it was just. Uh, and all you're trying to do is get out those moments in your head to get back to the other ones that uh, are those brighter memories. Abs- so, absolutely, I, I totally, totally understand and. I know that you just released a, an episode where you talked about being a cynical bastard, but maybe you're just uh, a sad bastard at the moment. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really sad. Like, I'm pretty happy, but it's like I'm proud. But it's like, man, like, uh, thoughtful then. But I don't know that you're cynical. Yeah, yeah, I. You still. I, I was gonna. I was gonna say something, but I was gonna get teary eyed. Like I, I would give everything I've worked hard for up. Uh, you know, if it meant like I'd get like uh, another day with like my Uncle Ray or something like that. Like, but they would never want you to. No. Keep that in mind. They would never want that, dude. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that's the like that's the that's the hard thing. Uh, man, I'm such a fucking sap crying. Uh, I'm just no, teasing. Not, so like that's the hard thing though, is because like uh, I know Paul wants me to do this, but like sometimes he'll just call me and he'll be like, "Now his phone's broken and I need to give him a new phone," but he'll just call me and he'll be like, "Buddy, I I I got to get out of here," and I'm <laughs> like, "I don't." No, I can't get you out of the rehab facility any sooner, Paul. Like, you keep falling, and you're not. Yeah. Like, Paul, like, you have to get better. And it's it's this weird thing to where it's... Uh, you're um, the adult. Yeah. Yeah. That's, dude, that's a bitch. Yeah. My mother, said, my mother had Parkinson's. I've been through it. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. And it's, it's so hard to uh, baby... The adults, it is, it's the worst. And then you feel guilt that he's in a rehab and he's not home with you. I understand all of this, dude. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think too, it's like, it's, it's hard. I think, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not beating myself up about it, but it's like, I got to go back to Toledo to make sure things are handled for him. Um, so when he does get out, like, because he doesn't know we redid his whole house and all this other shit, so it would be safer for him. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, but it's like 
you know, we threw out a bunch of shit and any person that grew up poor usually hoards shit that they don't need. Of course, just tell them it's in storage. <laughs> no, it wasn't a dumpster. I mean, he had <laughs> no, ice no, 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 no. He had tell a, him it's in storage. No, that's I'm a good kidding. idea. No, we didn't I'm throw serious. Out, yeah, that's... Yeah, and I can't lie to him, though. That's the thing. Well, but it it's is. My mom's, I mean, my a dumpster mom's, is a form of storage. Yeah, my mom's <laughs> my mom's going to deal with it. Like, I, that's that was her call, and uh, I helped. But yeah, it's it's been really it's been really taxing on me, and it's something that uh, uh, I don't, you know, I I try to just tough it out and go. Um, but you know, you you think you're dealing with stuff because I feel like I'm starting my grieving process early because it's you are in your head and from from experience and you probably saw some of this with your uncle ray you may actually be grieving right now and then be completely numb and impervious when it happens yeah and then months later be like why am i not feeling anything what's wrong with there's a lot of how you feel is how you feel man and true. you can't, you cannot um, change that or force that or anything else. So, yeah, I think that you may be grieving early and some of that may be like, oh, I'm going to have to stand up. I'm going to have to help my mom through. I'm going to help, help, have to help all these people through. So let me get all this kind of stuff out of the way on the side and, and, and just be ready for it to happen to her. Well, when it does, then I'll actually be sort of relieved because yeah. then the bad thing happened and I can move forward. I don't know. It could be that. I I hope so. <laughs> I uh when my aunt passed away, um her husband had shared with me like just some things that uh he asked me not to share that she wanted me to know. And uh then he just was like, You gotta be strong, you gotta take care of your grandparents and that was that was hard. Um yeah, I mean it's a lot to ask. Yeah, but and you were even younger then. Yeah, but I, I was happy to. Like, and it's it's uh you know, it was tough because my, my grandfather's had to bury four of his kids. And uh mm. he had seven well, he had seven kids. I mean, he probably has a lot more kids. He's not a perfect human being. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably got a he's got a bunch of pride. He's probably got a bunch of illegitimate children, seriously. <laughs> He had this weird attitude to where if, if it wasn't a kid for marriage, it's not my responsibility. So as much as a lion he is to me, he's still kind of a fucking asshole in some regards. Uh, but, uh, oh, okay. you know, I can laugh about it. But uh, Clay feet and broken condoms. Oh, man. He didn't use condoms. I remember, I remember I was in college and I was, I was very responsible and I was... I was with this girl and she'd gotten drunk and I took care of her. Um, we both got drunk, but I was less drunk. So I took care of her. And then like the next morning we were going to full around, but we didn't have a condom. And, uh, it was just, so we just ended up just like foreplay or whatever. And then, uh, I told my grandfather and I go, yeah, you know, he was asking me about girls. I was like, yeah, she's really attractive, but you know, probably didn't have a condom. So I wasn't trying to risk anything. He goes, well, it's not your problem. I'm like, Oh, what, what is wrong oh, with you? Yes, it is my problem. Like, Paul, of course oh. it's my problem. Ouch. So but yeah, man. So that's, uh, that's kind of it, man. So about to head into the farmer's market season. 
Um, about to head into a different season of my life. Um, a lot of changes. Yeah, man. I think more importantly. So I think, I think that is like a dark cloud that I think's been putting its ugly head um, in a lot of aspects in relationships in my life. And uh, so I think I look for distractions. And I think it's it's something that I, I don't even know that I'm conscious of doing. And I think I'm I'm becoming a lot more aware of it right now, um, especially after this conversation, man. So thank you. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate <laughs> it, man. Like, I uh, hope I brought you some good substance for your show. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, I'd like to have you back in the future. Yeah. For it. Love that, man. I had a, had a blast for about two hours and I got to harvest. <laughs> I got to harvest micro cilantro. Well, I'll let you get to that. Now, where can everyone find you? So you can go to samplehour.com. And Is it thesamplehour.com or sample? So it was thesamplehour.com, but I had a bit of dispute with the web hosting service that owns that domain. So I need to repurchase that domain from them. Um, but they raised my price uh, a ridiculous amount, so I haven't dealt with that. So samplehour.com right now. Um, okay. And then... Uh, Follow me on Instagram. I'm at Drew Sample, or follow me on Twitter cool. that I don't use at Drew Sample. There's also at the Sample Hour, which I use even less, and then at <laughs> Cap City Greens is my farm Instagram, and cool. uh, you can friend me on Facebook. Just Drew Sample. Cool. There's a football player who plays at Washington. Who you Google, he'll show up. But thankfully, he's not that good at football, so I can win <laughs> the Google War again soon. And um. And then, yeah, or just write me an email. So it's the sample hour at gmail.com. If something I said moved you or you identify with that, I love when people uh, hear what I have to say and they want to connect with me. So um, that's freaking awesome, man. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on. Man, I had a blast. I love being a guest. So if you're a podcaster and you want to have me on your show as a guest, I'll, I'll do it. So <laughs> everybody, look out for that. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for having me, Eric.